My name is Jeremy Raychek. I've been uh, going to this church since I was a baby of about a year and a half. <laughs> We're going to read from uh, Galatians 6, 1 through 10. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spiritual of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted too, or lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one of, or I'm sorry, but let each, each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, extremely nervous. <laughs> for, e for, uh, for each will have his own to bear, or I'm sorry, for each have to, to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows his own flesh, will the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit, uh, will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are, house, or who are of the household of faith. Well, good morning. Okay, it's cool. It's cool, yeah. I got it. Sorry. That's what secretly happens sometimes when we're praying. You guys just saw behind the scenes there. Um, the table just appears. Um, thanks, Jeremy, for reading. Um, I knew he was going to be nervous, so I tried to pick the longest bit of scripture that I could find. <laughs> so, you're welcome. It's the last time he's going to do that for us. Um, no, I'm just kidding. My name's Matt Stevens. Um, I'm, I serve here at the church as the worship director uh, in communications. Um, and so this morning, there's a lot to get to, so I don't want to waste our time. We're just going to get to it. Um, there's actually a lot of pretty uh, difficult stuff here. When I first got this passage, I was thinking, oh, bear one another's burdens. Okay, that's, that's easy. We can, we can all do that. But as I got into this, I realized, okay, there's some stuff here that uh, kind of some, some buzzwords in the church that maybe will make us feel a little bit uncomfortable, but yet we need to hear because it's from God's word, right? So let me start off with this. Um, I want us to be honest with ourselves this morning. So there are going to be things that we, we tackle here that are a little difficult. Um, but it's important for us to be honest. So I'm going to start with that, okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step out and do this first. So uh, my parents got divorced when I was in high school, okay? And so for a very long time um, after that, uh, there were things <clears throat> within my own life that um, slowly seeped in, right? Um, anger, bitterness. Uh, depression, um, unforgiveness of my dad. Uh, so there was a lot of things I was dealing with. And I didn't, even, I didn't even realize during the time that that was going on of how much that was affecting me. And so for like 10 years of my life, I, I was struggling with these things. Essentially, um, living in sin, 
because here's the thing, I had good teachers in my life and I knew that it wasn't good for me to be harboring my anger, it wasn't good for me to be um, you know, unforgiving towards my father, um, no matter how hard that was. And so I was living with sin and so a lot of times I would know these things, I know that I shouldn't be doing this, but I just kind of did it anyway, right? I just kind of lived with it. I just said, yeah, I know this isn't right, but I just kind of did it anyway. So how many things do we have like that in our own lives, right? Do you have things like that you're not proud of? Things that uh, you, know, you don't really wanna do, but you just kinda find yourself doing them anyway? Um, you know, I know better, but I do it anyways. You know, there's things that, that bring shame into our life and remorse into our life and guilt into our life, and we know that's not what we're made for. We know that God has better plans for us, but we just kind of end up doing it anyway. So what we've been reading in Galatians and what we need to understand this morning is that we don't have to. Okay, we don't have to because of the gospel. Okay, the beautiful thing about God and his grace is that he sent his son to this world to die uh, for all the things that we've done. For all the things that we've done that we, we didn't do, that we should have done. Okay, we've been seeing that through, through Galatians and this is what we call justification. Okay, now we, we talked about this before but I wanna recap that. Okay, through faith in Jesus, you have been made right with God. Okay, you can be forgiven of all those things. You can be cleared right in his sight. And the simple way that we have to say that is justification is where God sees me just as though I'd never sinned and just as though I'd always perfectly obeyed. Now, Christ lived a perfect, sinless, fully righteous, fully obedient life. And his perfect life can be credited to you through faith so that Jesus gets your sin credited to him and is condemned and you get um, his righteousness credited to you and you're accepted by God. Now, if you've been at church before, you've heard this idea, you're familiar with this, but I don't wanna move past this too quickly. I wanna say this again, okay? He gets treated like he lived your life and you get treated like you lived his life. What an exchange that is. The father looks upon us and sees us clothed in the righteousness of, our, of his son instead of clothed in the filthy rags of our own righteousness. We are declared righteous by God through faith. Okay, we've also seen this idea in Galatians about uh, glorification. Okay, this is um, waiting for the hope of righteousness, that we are, we are waiting for the day that we will not be just declared righteous, but we will be made fully righteous. No longer will we struggle with those things that we sometimes do, okay? We're completely free from the presence and the power of sin, okay? We're free from sin and suffering and sickness and Satan and death, okay? We're fully glorified, made like Jesus in every way. Now, the point that we live in currently is between justification and glorification, okay? It's, it's, a, it's kind of a, uh, the process point, okay? And that's a struggle right now for us, okay? It's very real, okay? We're wanting to become more and more like God has declared us to be. We're wanting to become more and more like God has designed us to be, but we aren't there yet, okay? So this process uh, of being made righteous, of becoming righteous is what we call sanctification, okay? And this process is a struggle, right? It's a battle. It's a war between what's called the flesh and the spirit, Okay, the Holy Spirit that lives within us that believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. So what is the flesh? Okay, the flesh is just that sinful bent towards ourselves. Okay? Um, it wants to exalt itself over God. It wants to exalt itself over our neighbors. Okay, when we live according to the flesh, the flesh is, the, is that desire, uh, that dominating, uh, controlling desire of our lives um, bent towards self, the desires of the flesh. We're living in a way that's hostile towards God. 
And we live in a way that's indifferent towards God or indifferent towards our neighbors. So um, ultimately, what happens is we fail to love God and we fail to love our neighbors. We end up in defiance of God and indifference towards our neighbor. So, but we live according to the Spirit, to the Holy Spirit, uh, that wants to honor Jesus and wants to shape our lives in the very um, image of our Creator. Um, Jesus uh, produces in us a great love for God and a great love for our neighbor. When we live according to the Spirit, we begin to look more and more like God has intended us to be. When his desires are ruling and reigning in our hearts, um, he subdues the desires of the flesh and produces the type of life in us that really deep down we all want, we all desire, um, and ultimately that God has designed for us. Um, it is a battle though, okay? And, and this process of us being transformed more and more as we submit our lives to the Spirit, here's the thing that we have to understand, that this process of transformation um, is, is not going to be accidental in your life, okay? You have to determine that that's gonna happen. You have to intend that that's gonna happen. Okay, you will not um, accidentally become more like Jesus, right? You will not accidentally um, have a transformation of your character. You have to intend for this to happen. So you have to believe something like, by the power of God, by the power of his spirit, um, I will learn to love the Lord my God with all my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. And I, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I will learn to love my neighbor as myself. Okay, we have to, if we want to be more and more like Christ, by the power of spirit, we have to put to, de- uh, put to death the deeds of the flesh, uh, not walk in the flesh, not set our minds on the flesh, but rather we set our minds on the spirit and we walk by the power of the spirit and we become more and more like Christ by the grace of God. Okay? Now this is not something that we're doing, remember, um, to earn the approval of God. Okay? We've already been justified, those that believe through faith, okay? but this is more of a response to God. Okay? Actively working in our lives, we're actively responding to that but we have to intend this. So we're gonna talk about this morning, about uh, being intentional about our spiritual formation. So again, the first thing that we have to do is invest. Okay, you have to invest in your own spiritual formation. You have to take ownership of that in your own life. Okay, pastors are a great gift from God. Okay, they're there to help us along the way, um, but you have to take ownership of your own spiritual formation. Okay, but let's not just take my word for it. Okay, let's look at the text and see what it says here. Okay, notice he talks about sowing and reaping. Okay, when he talks about reaping, he's talking about the outcome of your life, the outcomes of your life, the harvest, okay? Um, what's being produced by your life. Okay, so let's look at verse seven. I'm sorry if you, if you didn't turn there. We're in Galatians six, uh, verse one through 10. We'll be there pretty much the whole time, so just hang out there. So verse seven says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So he says that first of all, God is not going to be mocked. He's not going to be made a fool of. Um, there's no loophole in the universe. Okay, you're not going to outsmart God. God has established this law of the universe of sowing and reaping. You, you reap exactly what you sow with your life. You'll not get a harvest that's different from what you sow. Okay, so if you plant corn, you will get corn. You will not get apples, right? Okay, so first of all... Um, so anyways, the emphasis here is that uh, there, you can sow into one of two fields, right? So he says you can sow this field of the flesh or you can sow to the field of the spirit. So you have these two fields, both of them will have a harvest and you get to determine which of these fields that you sow into. So now when he says here that you sow to the flesh, what he means is that you give yourself to the sinful impulses. You give yourself to the f- impulses of the flesh. You're living basically defiant of God and neglectful of your neighbor and you just live for your own sinful pleasures. 
and it will bring about a harvest of corruption. Now, to be clear, when he says corruption here, um, ultimately he's talking about eternal judgment, okay? Um, because notice in verse 8, he's contrasting corruption with eternal life, okay? So this is, this is an eternal condition. Corruption is speaking of eternal judgment. In other words, if you sow seeds of rejection of God, you will reap an absence of God forever, okay? So if you sow the seeds of your life of rejection of God, you will, you will reap a harvest of the absence of God. If you sow the seeds of reliance on self, all you get is yourself. Now, the ultimate harvest he's talking about, this ultimate corruption is preceded by corruption that we experience in our own lives today, okay? And it's a corruption of our own neighbor, this, our, our, own, um, our own nature, excuse me. Um, so this corruption, what it means is a decaying or a decomposing. Um, there's something that we do with my kids each day after school, right? They come home and they unload their lunch boxes and they take food that's in there and they either throw it away or they put it away if they didn't get eaten. Okay, and that's what we do every day, it's routine. Now, the last day of school, um, we come home with the backpack, and the backpack goes into the closet. Lunchbox is still in the backpack, okay? So, when school started, open up the backpack, open up the lunchbox, and it was more like something out of Stranger Things, right? Okay, this was uh, something that had taken on its own new life. It was a color that we don't really have a name for. It's disgusting, but it was something that was in there. Well, I don't even know what it was at this point, but it was decayed, it was decomposing, and that's what corruption means. That's what um, you will get. You will reap corruption in your face what, with, uh, from your flesh. What it means is you're going to experience a breaking down of your own personhood, the falling apart of your life. Okay, and you can't avoid this. If you live by the flesh, which is listed in chapter five that we went over last week, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, debauchery, envies and factions and rivalries, all of these things that defy God and hurt others, if you give yourself to this, you're gonna experience a corruption of your own human nature. Okay, there's an inevitable harvest and the seeds that you're sowing um, are going to happen and you can't escape that. You can't escape that. So another way to say this, what happens in Vegas does not stay in Vegas. <laughs> there will be consequences, okay? There's gonna be consequences. There's an irrevocable law of the universe that God has created here of sowing and reaping. It's going to, you're going to reap um, whatever you're sowing. God is going to keep his promise. You don't outsmart God. He's not a fool. He will not be mocked. This harvest is certain. And when you um, sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption and undoing of your character. Okay, and then a decaying of your character. So I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. Okay, I've read all the books, watched the movies way more times than I care to admit. What I think of in this situation is like that character Gollum, right? Like he didn't start as this kind of creature. He was something else. He was a normal person. And then over time, as he held on to this ring, which represents you know, evil and, and corruption here in this case, like there was a slow decay of who he was as a person and became this creature. That's, that's an illustration of what that is. Sowing to the flesh begins to corrupt our lives. We lose the capacity to be the people that God has designed us to be. And this is why Jesus came. He came to save us from this corruption. It says in, in the first part of Galatians, Galatians 1 says he came to save us from this present evil age. Jesus came to die that we might be forgiven of this corruption, but also, also rescued out of it, that we might be renewed in the image of our creator, and that we become more and more like God has designed us to be. But when we sow to the flesh, we reap corruption. But we can also sow to the field of the spirit, right? And the Bible says you get a, a very different harvest from that field. When he says you sowed the spirit, it means investing your life in the things that God inspires, empowers, and approves, okay? 
We're given the fruits of the Spirit in chapter five of Galatians. Okay, and we have to ask ourselves, are these the things that we're sowing our lives into? Okay, things like the word of God, giving time and attention to scripture, giving time and attention to prayer, giving our lives to purity, giving our lives to the obedience of God and giving our lives um, to acts of love and kindness and mercy and justice and forgiveness and compassion and generosity. Okay, those are the things of the Spirit. So the Spirit of God wants to bring glory to Jesus and to shape our lives to look more and more like Jesus. And he's inviting us into that. So when we continually sow those things, we continually have a transformation of our lives, culminating in, ending in, eternal life with God. So that's why he says, when you sow to the Spirit, you reap from the Spirit eternal life. So the Spirit begins to work these wonderful things in and through you, transforming your character to become more like Jesus. So in one field, you reap the breaking down of your character uh, the decaying of your life that ultimately leads to, leads to an eternal separation from God. In the other field, you have a building up of your character and a life that honors God, that glorifies God, and you reap, ultimately, uh, eternal life with God. Okay, so you see how important it is that we invest in the right field. Um, so let's look at a couple principles about sowing. The first one's this. Don't expect a harvest where you have not sown. So it's important that you invest in your own spiritual formation by sowing into the right field, but don't expect a harvest where you aren't sowing. What you invest in with your life, you're inviting into your life. So don't expect a life of fruitful harvest of the things of God if you've not faithfully sown to the things of God. Okay, so in other words, uh, in the places that you've neglected to invite God into your life, um, you will rarely experience the power of God in your life. So if there are things and places in your heart that you haven't invited God, those are the places that you will rarely find the power of God working, okay? And when you minimize God in your life, you minimize his power in your life. So where you rarely want God, you will rarely find God. So don't expect a harvest where you haven't sown. Um, where you exclude God, you're going to rarely experience him. So here's an example of this. Maybe some of you are sitting here this morning and you feel like God is distant from you. You don't feel uh, the realness of him, the realness or the reality of him. Um, and here's a question. Um, and this is one of those kind of honest moments. Uh, have you been seeking God? Have you been seeking him? Um, you, you want a harvest of experience in the presence of God, um, but have you been sowing the pursuit of God in your life? Have you been spending time in his word? Um, have, are you calling out to him in prayer? Are you actively engaging with his people? Um, because if you're not living a life that's seeking God, um, in prayer, the chances are you're not going to experience a harvest of the presence of God. And we know this. Like, you know, think about it if you're married. You know, if you are not um, sowing, um, you know, obedience to God in your marriage, right? If you're not sowing um, sacrificial love, selfless love, trust, and forgiveness, don't expect a harvest of that in your marriage. Because some of you may be sitting here looking for um, guidance or discernment on decisions on, on what, what to do and where to go in your life. And you, maybe you feel like God's keeping you in the dark. Okay, you're wondering why God hasn't given you discernment. Well, maybe um, because you aren't being obedient to the directions that he's already given you. Okay, so you're expecting or asking God to show me what I want. And God's saying, hey, I've been showing you these things, but you're not even following those. Why should I be revealing this to you? Um, so God says, to the merciful, I, show my, I will show myself merciful. So in other words, if you're sowing mercy and actions towards others, then you will usually be receiving a harvest of mercy from God and in his interactions with you. How about your finances? 
Here we go. This is one of the buzzwords, right? We don't like to talk about money in church. But here's what it says here. Maybe you're struggling, maybe you're struggling with your, your finances. You're wondering why God won't bless your finances. Maybe it's because you haven't been sowing seeds of obedience and generosity in your life or in your finances. We can't expect a blessing when we aren't sowing and being obedient, okay? And speaking of finances, this is the context here. Okay, look at verse six. It says, when we get into this idea of sowing and reaping, he's speaking primarily of finances. Now, it's broader than that. It's a much broader principle, but he's talking about compensating those who teach the word of God. So verse six, it says, let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So in other words, he's saying here, this is an area of your life that you need to sow into. Sow into something that you receive good teaching from. And then he says in verse seven, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. So what's he saying? He's saying here's an area of, of, of sowing. Sowing in a field that makes sure you're after good teachers and you're compensating good teachers. Share your resources with those who are gonna teach you the word of God and are gonna help you flourish in the truth. Now, I wanna make sure that we identify this here because there's the, an easy bent for us when we start talking about giving in church or money in church that we're hesitant. Okay, this is a life of generosity. This isn't just about money. Okay, you can give your time, you can give more of yourself to things, and that's living a life generously. It's not always about money, so don't get caught up in that. Okay, this is about a generous life. Um, so, I mean, and also remember the context of this letter of Galatians. Who is Paul writing to? Okay, he's writing to the Galatian church that's been troubled, they've been disturbed, they're growing insecure in their relationship with God, they're experiencing being tripped up in their faith. Why? Because they were getting bad teaching. Okay, there were some false teachers that came in that began teaching them the wrong doctrine and they began to think wrongly about God, wrongly about his love, wrongly about grace, wrongly about his gospel. And what happened? It had a tremendously bad effect on their own spiritual lives. So he says here, you need to invest in good teachers. So that's one of the other principles that we invest in good teachings. And what are some of the ways you can invest in good teachers? Well, you can sow these seeds. The Bible says you can compensate your pastors who work to give you the word of God and work to provide environments where, they're taught, where it's taught so they can make it the great priority of their life. That's one way. Compensate the people who are gonna give their lives for you in the teaching of the scriptures. Another way to invest, read good books. Now, let me just say, not every, good, every book, every Christian book is a good book, right? There's a lot of best-selling books that are not good books that have bad theology in them. So we have to, we have to invest in the books of teachers that we know are trusted, um, whether they be pastors or teachers or theologians, invest in good books, okay? I, I have this uh, quote that I found recently that's in my office now from Charles Spurgeon. It says, visit good books often, but live in the Bible, okay? So find good teachers, find good teaching, read good books, but don't, don't exclude the Bible, Okay? Um, listen to good podcasts, right? We can find good teachers. There's a lot of, of good information out there from people that we can listen to. Uh, so listen to good podcasts from trusted pastors that will teach the Bible and get the word in you. Okay? This is some of the ways that we can sow to the spirit and be after good teaching, like it says. Uh, something else about sowing and reaping, don't give up investing when you don't see immediate fruit. Don't give up investing when you don't see an immediate fruit. Some of us could be in here and say, hey, I've been praying. I pray and I pray and I pray and God just is not answering my prayer. Look at verse nine. It says, and let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Don't stop. Don't stop doing good. Don't stop praying. Don't stop giving. Don't stop teaching your children the truth even um, when you're not seeing a harvest come about. So this is one of the hardest things about parenting this desire to control the outcomes of our parenting. This desire within us that we want to control the outcomes of our parenting. You cannot control the outcomes of your parenting. 
What you can control is what you sow into your kids' lives, right? So don't stop, keep, keep doing that, okay? Praying relentlessly, not giving up. Maybe you're saying, I'm praying and God's not answering. Keep praying. I'm giving, I'm living generously, but I don't sense God's blessing. Keep giving, keep living generously. I'm teaching my children, but just keep teaching. Um, I serve, I love, I share the gospel with my neighbor. Just keep sharing, okay? Don't give up, it says. Remember that there's a time gap between the sowing and the reaping. So here's what I'm learning as I get older. I'm closer to 40 now. Um, I have two kids and I've been married for 17 years, okay? This is what I'm learning. That what I sow in the spring of my life, I'm going to reap in the harvest, and I'll reap a harvest in the autumn of my life. Okay, so there's things I'm doing right now. They're gonna have huge ramifications in my life when I'm 60, 70, 80. Teenagers, there's things you're doing right now that are gonna have huge ramifications in your life when you're 20, 30, and 40. Be careful what you sow. What you sow in the spring of your life, you will reap in the autumn of your life, okay? But don't give up. Don't stop doing good. Don't stop um, praying. Don't stop doing all of these things because sometimes the harvest comes later. But the scriptures say inevitably, this harvest will come. God will not be made a fool. He will not be mocked. What you sow, you will reap, but don't give up. And this is why it's important for us to invest in our spiritual formation. Okay, secondly, we need to invest in the spiritual formation of others. Let's look at chapter, uh, chapter six, verse one. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You see, this isn't about me and my God. This is about us and our God. Okay, God doesn't just save individuals. He saves, he saves a people. Okay, he saves, he saves a people to himself and that people become a family. And that family is to be invested in the spiritual formation of each other. This is a community project. Okay, and another way that, uh, that we invest in the spiritual formation of others in the community of faith, those in the family of God, here in this passage, it says that if you're going to invest in the spiritual formation of other people, one of those things is going to be confronting sin in other people. So here's another one. Everybody loves to talk about sin, right? Or sin in others. But we've got to handle this. It's here in, this, it's here in the word. We've got to deal with this. Okay. Um, we live in a culture right now of radical individualism, right? Where we would say, um, what I want to do is my own business. Leave me alone, right? Okay, but that is a problem. And it's not what God says and it's not the right mentality because it breaks the law of love, okay? That's, um, that's not what God has intended for humanity. He put us on this planet together um, and we need each other, okay? So one of the things we need from each other, it says, is confronting sin, so it says, let's read it again, brothers and sisters, anyone who's caught in any transgression, transgression is trespass or sin. And I want to stop there. That word caught is interesting. If you, this is why translation is really important, right? Okay, so when you read that, you're thinking caught. Some of you might read that like, I'm out and about and I'm catching people in the midst of sin. Okay, you've deputized yourself as sheriff of, of the Christian life and you're going to go catch people in sin. That's not what this is saying. Okay. We need to understand that this word caught is that sin has tripped up, sin, sin has taken down, sin has overcome by surprise, that sin has ambushed someone in their life. Okay, and I can't help but wonder if we viewed sin that way in other people, that we would treat them a little bit different. Okay, you aren't out to catch someone, um, you're, helped, you're out there to help rescue them out of that. Okay, it says further on in six here, or in, chapter, or in verse one, excuse me, um, you who are spiritual, 
You who are walking um, in the spirit, you who are maturing in your faith, you have a responsibility. Your responsibility is to confront that person in sin. Now we have three ways that we can respond here. The first one is uh, we can make them a talking point. We can say, hey, can you believe what this person did over here? Can you believe they're living like that? That's obviously not what God wants for us. The second thing we could do is we could, we could just kind of be indifferent to that. We can just kind of write them off. We can say things like, well, you know, if they want to wreck their own life, that's their business. I'm out of it, you know? Good luck with that. Or we can do what Jesus did for us, right? When you were in trespass, when you were in sin, uh, you can go after them. You can seek to restore them and get involved in it together with them. And that word restore is another interesting word, okay? In the original language, it used a couple different ways. One of the ways it was, was it was talking about fishermen mending their nets, okay? They had a rip in their net. It was broken. It was not useful anymore. The fish would just fall out. So they're mending the nets. They're restoring it back. Another way that it was used uh, is in a medical sense when it's talking about restoring uh, a bone, mending a bone back into place that had been broken. You're restoring a leg or an arm or whatever back to usefulness, okay? Um, Another way that that was used is that as something that was hidden, that's been brought out into the light, okay? So we need to, to say this today to ourselves. We need to be honest. So some of you in here may be caught right now in sin. You've been trapped by it, okay? But what we need to know is that um, the church of Jesus should be a place that's so full of grace that people can um, freely admit their failures, Right? Um, and if you're caught in trespass today, the good news is that you can be restored. God has given you his people not to hide from, but to get help from. Okay, the beautiful thing about grace is that you never have to run from it, you run to it. And the beautiful thing about a gracious people is that you don't have to run from them, but you run to them. Okay, this is the kind of community that Paul is talking about here, that he's wanting for the Galatians, the gracious community that restores each other when they're tripped up, when they're caught up in sin. But, you aren't going, but if you're going to be a restorer, notice what he says. You have to do that in a certain way. Okay, he says, you who are spiritual, you who are filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, if, uh, if you see someone caught in a trespass, restore them with gentleness. Remember the word restore was used to speak of a broken bone, right? So back in this time, they didn't have all the anesthesia and stuff and go under and do all that stuff while you're asleep, right? They, re, they set the bone back in place, okay? And that is going to be a painful process. You're not going to want to go after um, a doctor that's going to be really aggressive doing that, right? You want someone who's going to restore it gently back in place, okay? And that's the idea here, okay? So those of us that, um, when we see someone that's caught in sin, we need to be, uh, do this process uh, of gently, okay? You're looking less at their sin and more at their loss, okay? In other words, you restore someone gentle, which means I'm not angry about how you've lived. I'm grieved over what you've lost, Okay, this is what it means to go with the right heart. If you're able to, to look at someone, and it's not just about their actions, it's not just about how they're living, it's about what they're losing, about what they're missing out on, this life that God has intended for them, that they have sabotaged or shipwrecked, okay, and we're going to them, and we're broken, and we're burdened for them, and we're grieved about what they're losing, not just about how they're living, because there's so much that God has in his heart for us. You know, and if we can just turn to face him and, and see the grace and receive all the goodness that God has for us, we can go and approach um, with gentleness. It's not us going to get them in line, right? It's us that we want them to have life. Um, and so when we approach with that kind of heart, we can approach someone in gentleness. So it's not a stern rebuke. 
Um, it's a gentle process. You're not out to seek, someone, or to, seek to prove someone wrong. Right? We're restoring here. We're inviting someone back into life with God. And so I'm willing to bet that there are those of us here today who have been burned by the church um, that didn't find it a place of restoration, of grace and gentleness, but rather um, it wasn't a place <laughs> where people were grieving about your loss, but it was people angry about how you lived and, and what you did. Okay, and I just want to say to you today, that is not the heart of God. Jesus, who is the head of the church, is nothing like that. Okay, and if you've experienced this, my hope is that this place would be a community that you would find uh, a community of grace, a place of restoration, a kind of gentleness and grace that it talks about here. But those who are going to restore, it talks more to us. Okay, it says, keep watch on yourself in verse 1. When you confront someone's sin, you go with gentleness, but you also go with a mind of what you're capable of, okay? So you keep watch over yourself that you know, I can go into this, this person's life and say, you know what, I am just as likely, uh, with, not for the grace of God, to be caught in this same sin. I carry myself with enough humility that I know were it not for the grace of God that I would be trapped in the same kind of sin. I know what I'm capable of in my own flesh. And it goes on and says, lest you too be tempted. Okay, lest you be tempted towards what? Conceit. Okay, chapter five, verse 26, it says, let us not become conceited. And here in verse three, it says, lest you not be tempted to think of yourself more highly than you should. For, and it says, verse three, for anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. To go to someone to restore them, to confront them in their sin can produce a lot of pride in us. Okay, and you, you can't think more highly of yourself than you should, it says. He says here, lest you too be tempted, keep a watch over yourself. If you think so highly of yourself because of your own righteousness, you'll begin to despise those that don't carry themselves with your same righteousness. And the church can only become a gracious community when we understand that about ourselves. That we have no righteousness that is our own, okay? That our righteousness is filthy rags. That our only hope is the righteousness of Christ um, the righteousness of Jesus, and we don't get to strut around in righteousness, okay? We understand that our righteousness is an alien one. It's from outside of us. You know, it's been given to us as a free gift. So our opinion of ourselves needs to be something like this, that I'm a sinner saved by grace, and I see other people as sinners, as candidates of grace. How you see yourself often determines how you start treating other people. And the Bible says right here, look at yourself, be humble, don't think more highly of yourself than you should or you'll never restore with gentleness. You'll restore with pride and arrogance. Uh, when you address the sins of other people, you need to be fully aware of your own. This is why Jesus says, um, like in Matthew 7, you can take a brother's speck out of his eye, take the log out of your own eye first. Okay, then you can remove your brother's speck. Okay, now Matthew 7's a funny um, chapter in the sense that uh, you know, it's, it's where it says, judge not lest you be judged. Uh, take the brothers, uh, to take the brother's speck, take the log out of your own eye first. And that's funny because in this culture right now, that might be one of the most well-known verses, right? If you go to someone and you, you're in this process of trying to restore them or address some sin in their lives, you might get quoted this, right? They say, Let, judge not, don't judge me. You know, judge not lest you be judged. Okay, boom, all of a sudden they become this biblical scholar, right? Maybe you've had this kind of discussion with someone um, or you've had that, that conversation with them. Um, and it's funny because what is the goal of that verse? Well, the goal of that verse that Jesus is saying is that you're able to take the speck out of your brother's eye. 
So when you address the sins of others, I mean, you have to be aware of your own, right? You can't be looking at life through a two by four. Like if you're taking a speck out of someone's eye, that's a very gentle process. You're not gonna just start digging around in someone's eye, okay? Um, it's painful to have something in your eye, right? I mean, this is a very like applicable way of Jesus presenting this, right? We all have had something in our eye and that's painful. Um, but what we're saying here is that uh, removing that speck is a gentle process, okay? I know how painful it is to have something in your eye. Okay, I've had plenty in my own. And because of that, I can go to you in gentleness. I can go to you with sympathy because um, I know what that feels like and I can help you deal with your speck now. Okay, we need to be invested in the spiritual formation of others by confronting them gently and humbly in their sin. And the second way is by carrying their burdens. Okay, verse two says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, burden, a hardship, an affliction, that can be an oppressive thing. We've all been there. We've all um, had a trial that we've gone through that causes us to maybe even question the goodness of God. You know, where is he? What's he doing? Um, and there's people like that that have been burdened and God is saying here that you need to go help carry that burden. Um, sometimes it's a, a burden of grief, right? Or, or maybe a spiritual attack that's just relentless and it cripples people and it weighs them down. And Paul's saying, you know, there are people in your community that are like this and you need to go help them carry their burdens. But here, um, here's what it means to help someone carry their burdens, right? It's more than just noticing. It's more than just saying, hey, I see that you have a burden there. Good luck with that, right? I have someone that, that kids me sometimes and says, um, hey, better you than me, right? Like, and it's a joke, but I mean, the, the, the idea here is, is similar to that. Like we, we don't just observe and say, oh man, that's, that's terrible. I'm sorry that you're going through that. It's more than being sorry, okay? That you're gonna go give practical assistance is what Paul says. You're gonna go help get under that burden and carry that burden with them. And in so doing that, you're fulfilling the law of Christ, the law of love. Isn't that how he loved us, right? He came when we were burdened with sin, of condemnation, of guilt and shame. He came and took that shame and guilt upon himself so that we might be free. And so Jesus is saying, this is what I've done for you and this is what I'm asking you to do for others. He freed us um, and he carried our burdens and that's what he's called us to do. So we are investing in our spiritual formation. We're investing in the spiritual formation of others um, by helping them uh, addressing their sin gently and um, humbly and carrying their burdens that are excessive and hard to bear. I've been using that word invest the whole time. Investing is more than dabbling, right? It's more than dabbling. Okay, and there are many here we're going to be honest and, and tough with this, um, who dabble in spiritual formation. We dabble in the things of God. We dabble in community. We dabble in doing life with other people. We dabble in sowing the seeds of the Spirit. We dabble in the things of God. We dabble in the people of God. But are you investing? Okay, because there's a difference in throwing a few things at something and throwing your whole self into something. Okay, and that's what God is asking us here. You cannot dabble in the things of God and expect a fullness of life in God. You cannot dabble in the community of faith and expect to reap a harvest of the fullness of life in the community of faith. We have to be all in. And we have to be all in because Jesus was all in. And he's our example. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and how it challenges us, how it inspires us. Um, how we're able to, to kind of repent of the things in our lives that we are not um, following in uh, accordance to your scripture, Lord.
you've given us these, these things to, to deal with and struggle through so that our, uh, we'll have a, a flourishing life, we'll have goodness in our life. Um, and we have to trust you. We have to trust that what you say in your word is true. We have to believe that. And Lord, we ask that the actions of our lives would reflect that, our belief. That we actually live in a way that shows that we believe these things. Lord, help us to, to find the power in the spirit to do these things, to sow to the right field, to sow to the field of the spirit so that our lives will honor you, our lives will glorify you, and that our things that we really want, the desires of, of our heart to be better, um, would happen through your spirit. God, it's not something that we do. Um, you're not after anything that we can do to attain um, your love, to attain your approval. We've got it because of Jesus. We thank you for that. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your word. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.